Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this amazing day and this incredible example of kindness. And Father, we praise you for your great love for us, that you have shown us kindness and mercy and compassion. And Father, open our eyes to see the truth of your word. Father, open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear your voice and to receive your love. And as we receive your love, Father, may we give it away to those around us. We are the aroma of Christ. So Jesus, shine brightly in our lives. Give me your words that I would say only what you want, nothing else. Father, bring encouragement and comfort and conviction. And Lord Jesus, we ask these things in your precious name. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. And welcome to the church at Woodbine. It is a joy seeing each of you here this morning. We've got a name, and Chris, I'm going to kind of jump down to, I'm going to, whew, this can go viral on, uh, on our YouTube if I mispronounce it, but Mephibosheth. And so we're just going to go ahead and put it up. Can you say it's like the letters of the alphabet, Mephibosheth? Can you say it? Uh, that's pretty good. Anyway, I'm going to say it probably 30 times today, and I might get it right once. But we're going to be looking at the son of Jonathan, and we're going to look at King David and what is going on. But just a quick review as we go through the life of David, we're not looking at every single thing that happened in his life. If you want to know more, you can go deep in First and Second Samuel, even the beginning of First Kings. But as we look at the life of David, last week we were looking at a real religion. And we were kind of walking that tightrope where Jesus calls us friends. We are his friends, and because of Jesus, he's opened the way because he is the way where we can boldly go into the Father's presence, boldly. And it's not because we're obedient. It's not because we do good things. We are wretched sinners to the core. Yet because of Jesus and his great love for us, and because the Father through Christ has adopted us as sons and daughters, for those who put their faith in Jesus. We can boldly enter into his presence and sit on our father's knee, so to speak. And he actually has open arms to envelop us. And we talk a lot about it. Come as you are. That is biblical truth. Come as you are. But on the other side of that coin, the other side of falling into the ditch on the other side of that road, that tightrope we need to walk, God is so awesome and amazing and holy and majestic and wonderful that we should tremble at his feet. We should tremble at his feet. And last week we looked at the Apostle John when he was on the island of Patmos as an old man exiled because of the faith. And he had the vision of Jesus, the Lord, the risen Jesus. And he shook like a dead man out of fear and awe. So it's that tension we have, come as you are, yet stand in complete, total awe of our majestic king. Today, we're going to look at real love. And we're going to kind of bounce a little bit back to Jonathan and David. If you remember, we talked a couple weeks ago about real relationship. And we saw this amazing relationship between Jonathan and David. And I challenged you, I challenged me, that we need to be prayerfully asking, Lord, give me someone of the same sex that I am who could be one of my best friends who we could walk together in life and we can encourage each other, pray for each other, comfort each other, exhort one another, get in our faces and lift one another up as we walk and follow and love Jesus. We so desperately need it. And I might've made this joke here. I think I did in my home group. Jesus doesn't count. Now Jesus does count. He is our everything. 
But we have Jesus. But he's given us men and women in our lives to be the Jonathans. Men with men, women with women. So if you don't have one, pray that God would give you that type of friendship. And it might change over the years. Life circumstances moving. But who is your Jonathan in your life that you can encourage and that they can encourage you? Clear as mud? All right, let's beat the Episcopalians to the buffet line. Now, a real relationship. I got a story to share with you guys before we get started. My mom, she's been with Jesus for the past couple of years. When she turned 70, and I hope I haven't shared this story, we did a surprise birthday party for her. And so we were up here in the States for, I think, vacation, or we might have just moved back from Mexico. And so we did a surprise 70th birthday party for her. And my dad had Parkinson's disease. And he was pretty disabled. Mentally, he was struggling. And so we, we couldn't tell my dad because we were afraid he was going to spill the beans. Sorry, Dad, but that's just the way it was, okay? And so but we had to get him out of the house, get my mom out of the house, so then that way we could get the barbecue truck at their house and all the friends come in and, have a, and then they could come back. And so that was the plan. My mom was an incredible musician. She had perfect pitch. I can remember growing up, we'd hear a song, we'd be in church, and she's like, ooh, singing off key or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, man, I, could, I didn't get any of that gift from my mom. I sound like two cats in the bag when I sing, okay? So if you're over, if you want to come over here and hear what it sounds like, come sit, stand beside me. Eric can testify, so can Christy. I didn't get the gift my mom got, but she could play about anything. And one of the, she loved the banjo. She taught herself how to play the banjo. She could play the banjo. And she would go down to the old country store in Jackson, Tennessee on whatever night to watch the banjo players play. And after several years, she realized that one of them there was one of my really good friend's dad. And so we got the idea of, hey, you know, for my mom's 70th birthday, let me just ask Jamie's dad if he could play the banjo, you know, some hoedown banjo playing at the party. So I asked Jamie, and we're in Mexico. So I called Jamie, hey, do you think you can talk to your dad? He's like, we got it. Don't you worry. We got it. Six months ahead of time. So as we're getting close to the birthday party, all of my brothers and four boys, so we're low on details when it comes to like doing parties. You know, you need the, mother, the, the wives to help. And I'm in charge of making sure that we have music. So I'm like, Jamie, are we good with, the, with everything? He says, we're good. I said, well, does your dad have everything he needs? He's good. Don't you worry about it. We got it covered. So I get to, you know, we're at our house. We fly up here and Jamie's dad shows up. He doesn't have any of his stuff. And I'm like, what's the deal? Aren't you going to play? He goes, I'm not playing. It's like, but we asked you, Jamie, we told you. He said, no, we're good. We got it covered. I got some friends coming. And I'm glad I cannot remember who came. But this is what I do know. A banjo player came. A fiddle player came. One of those stand-up bass guys came. And they, they drove in their big truck. They came. They set everything up. Sound system, everything. I mean, it was a little setup. And they're playing, and they were amazing. Just down home wearing jeans, T-shirt, you know, button-down shirt. Nothing fancy. But they were incredible. And they took a break and, you know, they get up and play again, took a break. People loved it. And as I'm sitting there with Jamie's dad, I'm like, who are these guys? He goes, well, the one playing fiddle just won the award last night for best fiddle player in the, in the country. And that bassist over there is so-and-so. And that banjo player over there is so-and-so. And these are the best guys in the world. And I love your mom so much that I wanted to honor her. And so I invited these guys in. And you would have had no idea. There was no presumption in any of these musicians. 
No one knew. Oh, and Jamie's dad told me, and don't say a word. I don't know how much it cost. These guys were not from Nashville. They weren't from Jackson. But my friend's dad wanted to honor my mom. Have you ever received a gift that you did not deserve? Has anyone ever showed you kindness that you didn't earn? Has it ever come from an enemy? Right here, 2 Samuel chapter 4. Let's go ahead and stand up again. Vladimir, thank you so much. Vladimir, I don't know, this might be prophetic, but the confidence I see you now standing on stage compared to a couple years ago is growing tremendously. So anyway, I just am saying that. Lord might be calling you to preach one day, but hey, I'm for real. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Here's some of the context. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son whose feet were crippled. He was five years old when the report about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nanny picked him up and fled. But as he hurried, as, as she was hurrying to flee, he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. You all may be seated. What in the world is going on here? If you remember, several weeks ago, we were talking about how King Saul, the first king of Israel, resented and hated David. And he began to pursue David, trying to find a way to kill David. And David had to flee. And David became one of Saul's greatest enemies, not because of what David had done, but because of the jealousy and hatred in King Saul. On top of that, Israel was in constant war and battle with the Philistines. And so on this passage right here, in this verse here, when it talks about Mephibosheth being only five years old, And when the news came about Jonathan and Saul that day and his nanny picked him up and they took off running and he fell and he became lame in both feet for life. What was happening? There was a battle between the Philistines and the Israelites and King Saul and Jonathan, it says in the passage before, both were killed in battle. So this is the king of Israel, the crown prince of Israel, both killed in battle. Some of the other brothers of Jonathan, some of Mephibosheth's uncles were killed in battle. And when the news got back to Jerusalem from Jezreel that the king is dead, Jonathan is dead, Mephibosheth is only five years old. He's little. So his nanny picks him up and they take off running to flee because they do not know what's happening. He falls and he becomes crippled. So we have this young boy crippled for life 950 years before the time of Jesus. What type of help and life is he going to ever have? Now, he's the king's grandson, and they flee, and he becomes crippled. That's all we hear about Mephibosheth for decades. And then we jump over here, and if you jump over to 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 15, David then becomes king. After King Saul is killed, there's a civil war between King Saul's tribe, Benjamin, and King David and Judah. David becomes king. He begins to establish his kingdom. Years are going by. And right here in this verse here, in 8.15, this is what it describes. So David reigned over all Israel, administering justice and righteousness for all his people. David has become king. Where's Mephibosheth? What's happened to him? This is the former king's grandson. 
and whose the kingdom was ripped away by God, says it here in Scripture. And as Mephibosheth grows up, what does he hear about his father Jonathan and his grandfather King Saul? What does he hear about King David? Does he ever hear about the friendship that his father and King David had? Or did they lie to him and deceive him and develop a story and a narrative around him that King David was evil and stole the kingdom from your family? We don't know. Maybe they actually told him the truth that his father and King David were unbelievable friends and they were committed one to another. Regardless, I can imagine that as Mephibosheth grows up, he's growing up with a whole lot of if-onlys in his life. If only my dad hadn't been killed. If only my grandfather hadn't been killed. I might become king after my father. If only I hadn't fallen. If only my nanny had not dropped me when she fled. If only, if only, if only. This could become a movie. But he grows up, I can imagine by the time we come to 2 Samuel chapter 9, Mephibosheth is a young man, crippled for life. Crippled for life. Forgotten. Oh, yeah, your grandfather was the king. Oh, you were one of the only surviving grandchildren. Oh, it was you who fell and got hurt. What type of life was he living in? Think about it. Let's try to put ourselves in his shoes. And then we have here in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, David asks, and again, we don't know how long the time went. But what does David say? Is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul whom I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? You keep going, Chris. And there was a servant of Saul's family. His name was Ziba. Now that's a lot easier. Ziba. Say it. Ziba. Uh, it's a lot better than M's word, right? Mephibosheth. Name's Emmas. And so they summoned him and he came to King David. And King David is like, are you Ziba? He says, I'm your servant. And then David says, is there still anyone left in Jonathan's family for the sake of Jonathan, for the sake of my best friend, for the sake of the one who protected me and watched over me and blessed me and for the sake of the one who had a covenant with me as friendship, who was willing to risk his life for my, for my own protection. Is there anyone left in his family for his sake whom I can bless? And Ziba says, yes. In fact, his youngest son, Meshibbethet, And he was actually living in a town east of the Jordan River. He says, there's one son left. And so David calls for him and he has David, he has Meshibbethet come to Jerusalem. And I find it very interesting here. If we skim down here to verse six, it says, Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell face down and paid homage. David said, Mephibosheth, and Meshibbethet says, I am your servant. That alone should reveal the type of heart Meshibbethet has. Yeah, I messed it up, Christy. I'm going to just call him Meshi. That's probably easier, right? It reveals the type of heart he 
has humility. He pays homage and he says, I am your servant. And then King David, right there on the spot, restores all of his grandfather's estate to him. Every last bit of it. And then he commands Ziba, King Saul's servant, who's basically the steward and manager of all that property, all that wealth. You and your sons, he had 15 sons, and your servants, he had 20 servants, will take care of the state for Mephibosheth. But he will eat at my table, at the king's table, for as long as he lives. And Mephibosheth says, who am I that you would treat me? I'm a dead dog. Who am I that you would treat me this way with unbelievable blessings? King David restored all of his grandfather's wealth to this young man, crippled. And then he charges his grandfather's servant and all of his family to take care of the state and to provide for Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is going to live and eat in the king's family as if he was one of the king's own sons. David didn't have to do it. David wasn't obligated to do it. But because of the love that David had for Jonathan and Jonathan had for David, because of that, we reap what we sow. And because of their bond and their commitment, David wanted to honor his best friend, even though he had been dead for years, by blessing this young man who had been crippled and rejected for life. Think about it. And one of the things that speaks to me most powerfully in this whole passage here is what David says in verse 3. When David said this, so the king asked, is there anyone left in Saul's family? Think about it. This is David's arch enemy. This is the man who tried to kill David for years. Yet David uses Saul and Saul's family in whom I can show the kindness of God. Think about that word kindness. What does kindness mean? Think about it. What does kindness mean? Just that word alone. And I think there's a definition, Chris, if you could put it on. This is what I found. Just if you Google it, Google knows everything, right? It's the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. The word that speaks to me that strikes me is generous. And I'm not talking necessarily financial, but it's part of it. But what really speaks to me is David says the kindness. I want to show the kindness of God. So think about it for yourself. What does the kindness of God mean? His generosity, his humility, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, giving to us what we don't deserve and giving to us what we haven't earned. The difference between grace and mercy, because we talk about it all the time, grace is receiving a gift we haven't earned. My mom's 70th birthday party, we were given an incredible gift. And my mom was so overwhelmed when she found out who those musicians were. She got really emotional when she was talking to my friend's dad, just trying to tell him thank you. And she's like, who am I? I don't deserve this. And he's like, you don't. I want to bless you. 
I want to bless you. Grace is receiving a gift we haven't earned or deserved, but it's given to us. Mercy, it's being withheld the punishment that we so deserve. And those are, that's the difference. And God pours out his grace and he pours out his mercy on both of us. He gives us gifts we don't deserve and he withhold, withholds the punishment that we so deserve. God's kindness. It reminds me of a story. And Jesus said, to whom much is given. Or not, no, that's a different, that's a different sermon. He who's been forgiven much will love much. He who's been forgiven little will love little. So let's stand and let's open our Bibles to Luke. David is such a reflection of King Jesus. Now he's an extremely broken reflection. But everything written in the Old Testament is a foreshadow of the coming of Jesus. Jesus is God's son. He's the son of David. He comes from the line of David. He's the promised Messiah. And right here in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50, you guys are going to, some of you will definitely know this story, but we're going to read it. Then one of the Pharisees invited him, that's Jesus, so we're jumping about 950 years, invited him to eat with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who is a sinner, woof, I'd like to know how they know that. But a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house. Now, this Pharisee, his name was Simon, but it's not Simon Peter, so don't get confused, okay? And she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him. She stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, pay attention, this man, he's not even talking about the woman yet. This man, he's referring to Jesus. If he were a prophet, would know in what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. Jesus replied, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor had two, debitor, had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii. That's five days worth 500 denarii. That's 500 days of wages. And another 50, so 10 times more. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who are at the table with him begin to say among themselves, who is this man that he forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You all may be seated. 
Many of you guys know this story, but some of the cultural things. Jesus is invited to this Pharisee's house, and some of Jesus' greatest enemies were the Pharisees. They were so caught up in the legalism of doing everything right that they couldn't see the most important thing, which is relationship and reconciliation. Jesus is invited to this party, and when they're sitting there reclining at the table eating, they're not sitting in chairs, sitting down with the feet under the table. They're kind of reclining, almost laying down. Their feet are sticking to the outside, and they're on their elbows eating and talking. Well, this woman who's a known sinner in town, use your imagination. She hears that Jesus is at this Pharisee's house. And back then in big parties, anybody could kind of show up, even the uninvited. And at some point in her life, rather that day or the days before, she hears Jesus teaching and preaching. She might even seen some of Jesus' miracles. But somewhere along the line, very soon before this, what we just read, she had an encounter with Jesus and his incredible grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so she comes to that party and she's just standing. And I can imagine it's extremely awkward. Here's the sinner in town. The one that all religious people don't want to have around. Let's just be honest. And she's sitting there at Jesus' feet, weeping, making a commotion. And then she begins to clean his feet. Now, contamination back then was not in the air. It was on the ground. How clean are Jesus' feet? What do you think his toenails look like? Sandals 24-7? Pretty nasty. And she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And then it says, the Pharisee said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. See, that's what legalism does. Legalism will judge and kill because there's no desire or longing for reconciliation and forgiveness. And then Jesus shares the story. Whoever is forgiven much will love much. Whoever is forgiven more will love more. He uses the little parable of the creditor owing 500 or 50 denarii. And after Jesus shared that parable and the Pharisee rightfully judged, well, the one who is forgiven more is going to love more. And Jesus rebukes him by comparing his love to Jesus compared to that woman's love for Jesus. You didn't give me water for my feet. You didn't give me a kiss of welcome. You gave me no perfume for my feet and my hands and my head. But this woman has not stopped kissing my feet since I got here. And she's washed my feet, my nasty feet, with her tears and her hair. And she's anointed me with oil. Her sins are many. And they're forgiven. And then he turns to that woman and says, you are forgiven. Go in peace. That is Jesus' kindness. Jesus longs to pour his compassion out upon you and upon me. And Elanka and Joe, if you guys go ahead, come on up, it would be great. My prayer for myself, for you, I know that some of us have encountered the compassion and mercy of Jesus in our lives. And my prayer is that we would encounter it more and more each and every day. But my prayer also is that for those of you guys who don't know the amazing love and compassion and mercy and generosity of Jesus, Jesus loves you more than you could possibly imagine. 
Our Father loves you more than you could possibly know. And we can know that love and we can experience that love. And even if you've already given your life to Jesus, even if you're, if you're carrying heavy burdens and heavy weights, if you're struggling not only with sin, but maybe with relationships or finances, Jesus does not promise that he'll take all those away. In fact, he promises that we'll have trials and we'll have tribulations. We'll be rejected and we will struggle in this life. That is a truth. It's going to happen. And we have an enemy who hates us drastically and terribly. But even in the midst of all that struggle, Jesus still wants to touch us with his amazing kindness, with his mercy. This woman, I can't wait to meet her in heaven. What inspired you to walk through all those cultural taboos? to get to the feet of Jesus and just weep at his feet and anoint him. The only reason was because of Jesus' great grace and mercy. And may we never allow anything or anybody to get in the way of us to get to Jesus' feet. All it requires is humility. In the same way that Mephibosheth said, Why would you treat me this way, King? I'm just a dead dog. He walked in humility. God opposes the proud, but he gives great grace to the humble. So I want to encourage all of us to stand. And as we close with this song, we'll have a couple people over here at our next steps. We would love to pray with you. If you feel like there's a barrier between you and the Lord Jesus, if you haven't experienced his kindness, we would love to pray with you. If you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you want to talk about it, pray about it, go over here with Dustin and Caroline. And if you are walking humbly with Jesus, let's just worship him. May we surrender all things to him because he's worthy.